Well, welcome back to Wells Branch Community Church. Uh, we have a special part of our service today where the Adam Shaw, part of our Treehouse Kids, is going to read from the Gospel of Mark without any further ado. Yeah, all right. Get ready for Adam. Go ahead, Adam, read it. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. That is the gospel of our Lord. Now, can I have all of our Treehouse kids make your way with Allison and Cody Frazier. We're going to go do some great things. Uh, we're so grateful for you guys. Thank you guys for, man, we're, having, we're going to have some uh, Treehouse kids be reading on the regular with us here. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, we love it. Uh, so, hey, listen, we are in the gospel of Mark. And uh, as you heard that we're talking about the presentation of the king, and you're going to have questions. And if you're new here and you're like, I don't know how I feel about all this, you know, uh, we would love for you to ask us questions. And what, your place to do that is at pastorpleck.com, where you can actually voicemail, record a question there. Or you can text me or call me if you want to call me. You can, that works as a phone number, too. You can call, text, anything to get a hold of us and let us know what your question is. We would love to answer those. Um, so tonight we're doing concert of prayer, which I've mentioned, and what the whole purpose of that is to forward the mission of King Jesus, that he has called us to go and make disciples, and so tonight we're going to pray about all the missional opportunities we're going to have this summer as we interact with our community and the world. Now, when we talk about, and that's at five o'clock, just in case you guys are wondering, five o'clock tonight right here, but one of the things that we're talking about is when we are heralds or missionaries of Jesus across the globe, or even locally here, uh, we're presenting uh, Jesus as king. In fact, the first half of the gospel of Mark, chapters one through eight, is all about the presentation of the king. Here is the king. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning I'm the king, I'm the kingdom of heaven, come on, come get to know me. And then uh, he, would, he showed it, his power by the miracles of driving out demons, of healing people, and so to authenticate his message. And then, uh, and so I feel like we're, as we're getting into this, you're having to come up, you're rubbing up against the question of, is Jesus my king? And here's the, I don't want to call it a problem, but maybe it's a problem. It's a struggle. It's, a, it's an American struggle. We don't do kings. We are anti-king people. Right, we would say, um, listen, I appreciate that, uh, you know, all the other people that have puppet figurehead kings, and we know that those don't actually work. We are the ones that started the no king thing. We have a, doc uh, a democracy, thank you very much. And so when you think of king, you think service king or smoothie king or burger king, right? We think about those kind of kings. And, you know, burger king, it's kind of odd. It's like they are wouldn't really, they're, when, we, when they say king, they're not really saying like we rule something. They're saying we're the best at something. 
And for, for example, when you go, your kids get crowns when they go to Burger King. Or um, they have a motto, which, do you guys know the motto of Burger King? Have it your way, right? And this is, do you guys know that this motto came out in 1974, 20 years in, all right? So 20 years in, they came up with have it your way. Four years later, they changed it. And then two years later, they changed it again. And two years later, they changed it again. And finally, they came back to have it your way because that's what resonated with the American people. And uh, what I love about this is that when you read the fine print of have it your way, let me read it to you because I think it, you're going to be like blown away by the, the thought behind have it your way. You have the right. You have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And tomorrow's, and the day after, and well, you get the drift. Yeah, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. There is, that's Burger King. Like, this is not, I didn't like have to like insert, the, find the logo and insert. This is an actual advertisement from Burger King. And in fact, this is how, um, you don't think this, this would actually like, getting pressed upon people's souls. But in the past year, uh, there have been two 911 calls to, Burger King, to the police at a Burger King drive-thru. And the one that I got to, I just recently, I literally listened to it last night. It was hysterical. Uh, the person's like, yeah, 911, what's your emergency? And they're like, I'm in the drive-thru at Burger King. <laughs> and they said I have to wait 15 minutes for my lemonade. 15 minutes! And the, and the woman, the dispatcher's like, uh, sir, you need to calm down. Uh, is there anyone hurt? Is there anyone? No. I'm in the drive-thru at Burger King. And then the, the dispatcher picks up that this is like an actual like person serious. Like, sir, you need to calm down. Have you paid for your food or anything like that? No. Just simply drive away. Just simply drive away. But I haven't gotten my lemonade. I have to wait 15 minutes. It was like, it went on. It was like, I could not believe it. But this person had embraced fully have it your way, and not, you don't have to wait you, exactly when you want it. So I feel like what has happened, it, it's almost comical, but then when, you know, is it reality representing art or art representing reality? Those kind of, like, it's, it's this sort of reality piece where you're like, what is so twisted and weird that it's sort of like it's just a fun campaign slogan actually became how people view themselves and the world. All right. And I think the reason when it comes to Jesus, right? When it comes to Jesus, we've sort of had the same mentality. We come to Jesus for our spiritual service. You come to church for your religious goods and services. Thank you, Church Wells Branch Community Church, for my trusty Bible. That's good. I will put this prominently and display it somewhere so everybody knows I'm a Christian. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to put it somewhere that people can see it. I am going to go and... I'm going to go partake of the free food when the free food events are here. I'm going to go partake of the whatever. I'm going to get my religious goods, my religious services. I'm going to get something that does something for me because Jesus is the king of servicing my spiritual needs. To which there's a little bit of a part of that. That's true. But the problem is Jesus doesn't come as your spiritual advisor. He comes as king. And we don't define Jesus as king because we resist his definition of authority right? We have changed the, the, the authority of king to be someone that services me the best as opposed to someone who rules. In fact, we don't trust any authority. I think our culture is like, at this point, completely anti-authority, right? We don't trust doctors. We don't trust the news. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust nobody for nothing unless I can verify it. And I think that we've taken that to King Jesus as well. We're like, nah, I don't know. I mean, let's 
listen, I can appreciate that, but let's not get fanatical. I don't want him to be call himself king because that means, that means something I have to change with my life, okay? Or how about this? We don't like, we resist Jesus' definition of sin. It's like, listen, Jesus, I appreciate that you saved me, but let's not talk about the bad things that I've done or am going to do in my life. In fact, I would like to redefine this altogether as anything that doesn't work for me. And I think that's what happens with us. We've taken sin as something that separates us from God, and then sin becomes something that gives me some negative vibes or makes me feel a little toxic. I think that's the problem. We're resisting. It's Jesus' definition, not my own self-love definition. Okay. Or finally, what about this? Rest. We, <laughs> we don't define Jesus as king because we resist his definition of rest. In other words, Jesus has a prescription for how do you, you're to live your life, how you should go about living it. And what we say is, listen, I know what's best for me. I'll rest when I'm dead, thank you very much. Like, that's sort of how we view it. And so we take the reality of Jesus, and we're like, nah, I appreciate that you, there's a certain time of dedication of finding my rest in you, but I've got things to do. And all of a sudden, that makes our life really chaotic, all right? So this morning, we're going to get into, okay, we're going to get into some new screens. And we're going to get into the gospel of Mark. And so uh, I want us to pray and ask God to uh, open up our hearts and open up our minds to proclaim who he is uh, within us as we seek out his authority, his definition of sin, and then ultimately our rest in him. Father, thank you for your word. And as we're opening up your word uh, and as we're proclaiming and preaching it, God, I'm praying that you would do a work in every single one of us. That as we seek you, as we long for you, as we find our hope fully in you, Jesus, that our hope would be just foundational in, in who you are. So Lord, open us up. Help us to respond to your grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in your vicinity. And this is our gift to you, not for you just to put it on your mantle, but for you to actually read it. We want everyone to have a, a copy of God's Word because we really believe this is the Word of God, and we believe that it can empower us to do all the things He calls us to do in here. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one right in your vicinity. And we'll be starting at page 837. Now, this is where we've talked about Jesus, uh, the presentation of the kingdom, the, the miracles he's done, and now we're going to get into chapter 2. He's heading back to headquarters in Capernaum. All right, here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So uh, back in the day where everybody knew where you lived and worked, that where uh, identity theft was not a thing, your address was publicly published everywhere, uh, they all knew where Jesus was, and they swarmed his house, okay? And so he's there, and he starts to, uh, the gathering starts to build up, so there's no more room, not even at the door. So people are outside looking in through windows. And he was preaching the word to them, essentially proclaiming that he is the king and that the kingdom is with him. And then they came, bringing him to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, they got a guy in a stretcher, four men carrying another man in a stretcher, heading towards uh, Jesus, but they can't get in. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Hold on. You're having a Bible study. Now, granted, it's Jesus. 
They're like, and Jesus, he's going on about the kingdom of heaven. It's awesome. And then the part that gets a little bit distracting is someone starts taking off ceiling tiles from the top. And then there's like uh, someone digging through. And there's like, hey, hey, yeah, sorry, we couldn't get in. And everyone's like annoyed because, well, you were listening to Jesus. You really, he was at the good part. And then all of a sudden the roof starts caving in. And then all of a sudden they look up and they made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Which you got to imagine this got to be awkward for the paralytic. He, he's, you know, he probably had no say in this. He's just like, listen, guys, I don't, I don't know. Like, through the roof, it's going to be weird. And they don't care. These guys are some dedicated friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, I love this. He sees their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, and I love the fact that he calls him son here. It's just a kind of a, a term of intimacy. Son, your sins are forgiven. And I want to just pause right here because this is huge. Here's a paralytic who has done absolutely nothing but lay there. He's laying there. He hasn't changed his life yet. He's done no good deed. All he can do, all this paralytic can do is receive. And Jesus, look at this, what's so weird. He doesn't, he's not talking about his physical condition. He heals his spiritual condition. Son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's there like, whoa, 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 whoa. First off, how can you, a dude, forgive sins? But let's put that on pause for a second. We'll get there in a second. How can you forgive? And he hasn't shown any act of repentance yet. Doesn't he need to do something? Doesn't he need to, you know, at least say something? Jesus, you can't, you can't just go around forgiving people without making them do something. And I think that's part of the culture of the It takes Jesus plus your works. And here when you see a paralytic, he brings nothing to the table, which is the reality of the condition that you're in. You bring nothing to the table. You bring nothing but your need. That is how you come to faith in Christ with your brokenness and paralyzed spiritual self. And what Jesus is going to, he's going to say, this is the situation with every person. And now let me illustrate my power. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man uh, speak like that? That's blasphemy. Why is it blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So if you're a person that's like, listen, listen, I appreciate you and your Jesus thing, but listen, there's nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus proclaims himself to be God. Yes, he does. He does that when he says, I can forgive your sins. It's weird, right? If, so for example, we're hanging out and uh, Chris over here punches Sanj in the face. And I'm like, don't worry about it, Chris. I forgive you. And Sanj is like, well, I didn't. What, no one brought me in on that. The only one who can do that is God alone because all offenses between humanity are ultimately against God because you're hurting and ruining those who are made in the image of God, a.k.a. his territory tagging peace. So whenever God makes you and he puts you on the planet, it's his, it's his tag on the earth saying, I rule that. And any sin committed against another person is ultimately offense against a holy God. You see how that works. So even the paralytic, and, and listen, let's just say he's been paralytic for forever. You got to think he was sitting there going, all these punks with walking limb, working limbs, and they can walk and they can talk, and I'm just laying here. And the people that talk bad about him, he gets angry about it, and he gets frustrated with all humanity. So he, it's not like he was sinless. He was broken just like you and me. But the question of who can forgive sins but God alone, that's a, it's a crazy question. And so here he is, watch this. 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? What's wrong with you? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, which in the Greek is four words, just like it is in English. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, which is seven words in English, but eight words in Greek. And so he's like, he's kind of doing a little play on words. You know, because I only have a, I'm a man, so I only have about 10,000 words I can get out in a day. And so I got to keep them short and simple, all right? Because if we were ladies, he could do double that, so he's kind of helping it out. Like, listen, just men in general have less words. And so I can say your sins are forgiven, which is way easier to say than twice the amount of words of rise, take up your bed, and walk. He's kind of a little tongue-in-cheek there. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus has got the authority because he is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. And so therefore, he has that sort of power and that sort of authority. And which, what happens when he says something, immediately a paralytic received it, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they are all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. In other words, Jesus has authority to forgive our greatest disability, which is our sin. And whenever you, you read that, I, I think this is where, as a skeptical person, like, no, no, the greatest disability that guy had was not his sin. His sin was probably minuscule compared to everybody else's. Like, his issue was he was a paralyzed person. He could not walk. He was trapped in, like, the cell of his body, and he's constantly looking at life as this is awful, and that is because we kind of... We don't really view his sin as that bad. Because you would say, <laughs> I mean, why is God so upset? Why is he so angry all the time? Because what's going on in that man's soul and the darkness of his heart is far worse than the condition that you can see. It's kind of like having, oh, let me put it to you this way in the terms of healing. It's like having a broken wrist. And if I had a broken wrist, that would stink because I like playing football with my boys. I like to throw the football, and, you know, your wrist has a lot to do with that. I have to go left-handed, and then it's just sort of awkward because you just don't really, it's just a weird throwing motion. And if I had a broken wrist, and I went to the doctor, and he said, listen, that broken wrist isn't your problem. You also have brain cancer. Then I would be like, I don't really care about my broken wrist. I'd be like, let's take care of the brain cancer. What do we got to do? And I think for a lot of us, we get so focused on the broken wrist, and we don't focus on the absolute cancer that's wrecking our lives, which is our sin, which Jesus has the authority to heal. Okay, now here's, here's where I think we get in trouble. We want Jesus to heal us. We're down for that. We're down, we're lo we love healings. If there's some, bring in the paralyzed guy. Let's see some healings. That's fun and exciting, and it's something I can tangibly see. I can't see someone's sin getting healed. But I think of it kind of like this when it comes to Jesus' authority. We like all that Jesus can do for us, but we didn't vote for Jesus, right? I think there's a lot of us that has that, like, listen, I appreciate you Christians, and I, like, I think you guys do a lot of good things, but I didn't vote for Jesus. I didn't, I, didn't call, I, didn't, you know, I didn't cast my ballot for him. I think we act like a lot of people who get angry when their presidential candidate loses, and they have their, their bumper stickers. Right? This is us. Right? Like, not my president. Not my president. I've seen billboards. Not my president. Everyone's like, ah, stick it to him. Not my president. Doesn't matter if it was Trump and you were liberal and you're like, not my president. Doesn't matter if you're a conservative and there's Biden. Not my president. And the reality is you both are living under a false, like, narrative. 
Like, I don't care who you are. If you're an American citizen, that's your president, whether you voted for him or not. Listen to me. Jesus is your king, whether you voted for him or you received him or not. Because as, if this is the word of God, which I believe it is, it says back in Isaiah, as well as in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so therefore, I know it makes you angry. When there's certain people in power you don't agree with. And I'm sure you get really frustrated with Christians who go, Jesus is my king. But the one thing you can't say is he's not my king. Because even if you reject him, that doesn't negate his power. President Biden's executive orders still affect you. His decisions still affect you whether you want him to be your president or not. Donald Trump's decisions affected you, whether you wanted him as your president or you didn't want him as your president. That's the way it is, and this is the part where I feel like a lot of us are doing this with King Jesus. Now, I'll take the healing. I'll take the good things, but don't you tell me what I can't do. So then... It comes down to, so when we get upset about Jesus and what he can determine as sin. He has the authority to do all that. But then also, um, what happened in, when Mark, in, in Mark's day as he wrote this gospel, Jesus was constantly turning the religious system upside down. Watch this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. That's what he did. Jesus taught. And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus. So Levi, if you see this, that's a good Jewish boy's name, all right? Like tribe of Levi. It's not like Levi the genes. We're talking about Levi, uh, the Jewish tribe that was the priest of the nation, all right? The son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. So this is like a huge oxymoronic moment. You got a kid named Levi, and he's taxing all the Jews under the power of Rome. It's kind of like a kid being named Christian, and he's working for the government, looking to make things really hard on churches. Okay, that's sort of what, that's the irony there. And so, and he said to him, follow me. And so he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, now watch this. I always wondered, well, whose house was it? You go to, to Levi's house, which we find out also is Matthew from the Gospel of Matthew, or is it Jesus' house? I think it's his house. And this is what got people fired up. It's one thing to heal a guy at your house who's a paralytic. Okay, that's great. But then he's got the tax collectors and sinners reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when we're talking about reclining at table, it's like you literally lay down, feet behind you, chin propped up on your hand, and you're like face to face. You know, you're like staring at guys' mustaches around you as you are laying right up next to the table, getting as close as you can because it wasn't like, dinner tables. You reclined. You laid down when you ate. And the reason why they're getting fired up is for there were many who followed him, which I love this. Like when Levi started following Jesus, a bunch of the tax collectors couldn't do like, I've got to see what goes down. I mean, it's, it, you know, when Jesus rolls in and he's inviting the sinners, the sinners are like, I ain't missing this party. Let's go. And so they follow him and they show up and then everybody's sort of watching, and the scribes and the Pharisees are on the outside, and the tax collectors and sinners are on the inside. When at a time, but this, at you know, the parties at Jesus' house was standing room only. 
And I'm, I'm sure they fixed the roof at this point. Anyway, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. And this is huge. You see, Jesus heals those who define themselves as sick with sin. You know what's great about that paralytic? He didn't have to, he didn't, there was nothing in him that goes, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I just, you know, I'm just going to walk this one off. No, he's paralyzed. He's helpless. He knows he's sick. What I think what happens with a lot of us, um, we've taken an American approach to our sin. Kind of like the buffet style. Like, I'll work on the stuff that clearly everybody else can see, but the stuff that's the dark stuff in my heart, I'll do myself. Thank you very much. Um, okay, I actually talked to a friend of mine who's a doctor yesterday, and, and, I, and I was describing this issue, and, and I, he brought up something called MRSA. Are you guys familiar with this? Probably not because you don't run in these circles, but it's methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus auroris, MRSA. Okay, just, just write that down for later. And what happens is, okay, the doctor, the medical care industry has shifted from where a doctor knows best to customer service. So the same thing of Burger King has become Dr. King, okay? So when you go to the doctor, if you don't leave with something in hand, like a prescription to go and fix the thing, you're going to be irritated and you're going to find another doctor. So doctors, to help their own situation out, will prescribe stuff that people don't really need because the people are demanding it. People are like, what? In fact, this happens with Teladoc. You know how this works, right? When you call in, you go look up on WebMD what you think you have. Then you find all the symptoms, and then you read off the symptoms to the doctor to make sure you get the medicine prescribed because you don't want to pay 50 bucks for a copay for nothing. I need a prescription. And so what happens, because now you're the doctor and you're using the doctor to get what you need and because you know best for you, then all of a sudden you, your body builds up a resistance. You take an anti, when you take an antibiotic when you don't need it, it strengthens the bacteria as it builds resistance and then it has a greater resistance later. And that's when MRSA, that weird name, comes up. And then it, it causes a lot of problems for a lot of people. And I think that's what happens with us. I see an issue uh, in my sin, and I'll only work on that. In fact, I'll get people around me that tell me that I'm actually okay, and that's probably what I need, is I just need to cut those toxic people out, and I'll be okay. No, not realizing that the issue is probably deep within my heart, and it's a sin issue that Jesus needs to, to work on. Or we just do the thing where we, we pull out our self-help book, and we start reading about how we're going to be better people, and just pull, just listen to our inner self, and self-love ourselves to the point of health, and when has that ever worked? Navel-gazing does not work. You just become more self-centered, and you demand more people to start revolving their lives around you and your issues. Okay, it, it kind of like this. Do I have any, um, you, know, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you guys know anybody that does serial dating? They're the people that can't actually go more than like 10 days without being in a relationship. You guys remember these people? Uh, I, I was one of them, so I, I can talk about this. All right, so what, what you would do is you date somebody, and then you're about to break it off. And so as in that break it off time, you're like looking for the next person because the easiest way to break it off with one person is you get a relationship with a new person, and that makes all the pain go away, and so you're totally fixed. And then you're with that person for a season, and then you, you that doesn't start to work out, and then you 
break up with that person, but then you get the next one lined up right in time so you don't have any, it's kind of like a gap in medical coverage, right? It's a, it's a gap in your emotional uh, destruction, right? You with me? That's how that works. Okay, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so here's, so, and this might be only men who say this, but what happens is that after about a string of like five or six, you look back and men would go back and they go, man, I don't know what happened. Those girls were just crazy. Exactly. That's exactly what you say. And the problem with that, here's, what, here's, here's the problem with that, because you know that's what you'd say, right? The problem is the common denominator with all the women in your past was who? So what is the problem? That's what we do. We don't want it to ever be us. I don't want to be the problem. I don't want to be the issue. I want it to be somebody else. And so I've cut all those people out of my life, and the next thing I'm going to bring in a new one to fix the emotional need I have. That is how a lot of us operate. It may be in relationships like that, but it also is in your workplace. It also is relationships. It could be with churches. I'm going to find the place that's finally good, and the reality and the problem actually stems from your own broken heart that needs to recognize it so you can be healed by Jesus. But we don't want to be healed by Jesus. We want to... We don't anyone know that we have a problem. We'd rather shut up, show up, and pay up. We'd rather just get something to dull the hurt and the anxiety and not actually deal with the real problem of our own sin. And that's where the Pharisees were as they're really quick to point out, hey, Jesus, have you seen the sinners over there? That guy took way too much in his tax collecting. And the whole time, they're not seeing the burden they're placing on other people to get their own wealth from depriving widows of their homes. And you're like, well, that's not me. I'm not that bad. See, that, that's the problem. When you start doing that, and I'm not that bad, what you're saying is, my sin's not really that bad, and God's not really that good. He doesn't want to change me, and if I were to really come clean, then I have a much bigger mess to deal with, and I don't even want to go there. And I get it. But Jesus has come to turn the way you view religion upside down. It's a relationship with the king who can see right through all your masks and knows exactly what you're doing, and knows exactly how you're coping, and knows exactly you're feeding yourself with the wrong things. And if you're a Pharisee, and you're pointing out everybody else's stuff, you're using other people's sin to mask your own. All right, that's for free. All right, watch. Verse 18, he's going to shift, and he's going to talk about this religious flipping. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, they don't fast? Why is that? I mean, shouldn't they be, like, looking hungry? And uh, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? I mean, when was the last bachelor party you went to where everyone was, like, starving? <laughs> never, right? That's why you go to Vegas. That, no, you don't. You don't. Never mind. Okay. All right. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It's a party. What are you guys talking about? No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old and the worst tear is made. In other words, cotton shrinks. And no one puts new wine to old wineskins. Uh, if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. Because when the fermentation process happens, and the, the, it, it would expand wineskins, but if the wineskins were already expanded, it would snap them. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm bringing something new. I've fulfilled the law. I'm now ushering something new at the covenant of my blood. And that's why Jesus redefines all of our faith and our relationship with the king. 
and he gets rid of a lot of the ceremonial law that people had sort of raised up equal to moral law, which was okay in the Old Testament. Here, Jesus is saying, no, I have now fulfilled all the ceremonial requirements, and I'm going to forgive you of the way you've broken the moral law of God. Look at this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, you're going to see a bunch of Sabbath stuff, which should make us be very wary of people that get really fired up that people aren't keeping the Sabbath. So he goes, and they're, they're hungry. These are hungry people. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You should keep the Sabbath day holy. Do no work. And then he says to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? If you're not familiar with this story, in the Old Testament, King David, before he was king, was chased around by King Saul. And David was starving, and King, king Saul was trying to kill him. And so he shows up at the, at the house of God one night, and there's the high priest, Abiathar, there. And he's like, bro, you got any food? And he entered the house of God in the king, time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. So the showbread was made, and only the high priest would, or the priest and his family would eat it. It was six loaves in two different piles, and there would be before God, it was a fresh baked bread every week to show how God is always present with his people. Hence, Jesus is the bread of life, right? Okay, that, his, his presence is always with us. How awesome is that? All right. So he declares that he ate the bread of the present, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave it to those who were with him. All right, so unholy dudes who are not uh, living according to uh, the, the high priest structure of the ceremonial law. He goes, watch. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is huge. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus used this moment as proof that the law was designed for man's benefit and Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, and so now he is shifting what was supposed, the, the ceremonial law was built in so there'd be a high barrier of entry for those who were pagans. But now Jesus is saying, I'm now offering salvation to all people. And so the ceremonial law that kept the, the, you know, circle the wagons, the bad people out, or the people who didn't believe in God out, they are welcome. Now watch. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. This is what people that get really religious, this is what they do. They start, they start looking around for people to that are in sin, and they are looking for us to kind of put a magnifying glass up to somebody's life and be like, aha, caught you. Okay? And then, watch this. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And you just got it. Everyone's sort of, uh, uh, I don't know. But they were silent. In other words, it's better to be keep silent, be thought a fool, than to speak and remove all doubt. Here's a moment where they've seen Jesus just verbally spar people and destroy them. And they're like, nah, I'm not saying a word. Uh, but here there, he's asking the question, what is the Sabbath for? What is rest is it rest for this poor guy to have a withered hand, or is it rest for him to find in Jesus healing? And then as they're si in his, their silence, watch, watch Jesus' response to this. And he looked around at them with anger. Like Jesus gets mad. 
Now, what is, because this is for free, because I don't think any of us, especially men, we'd never introspectively look at our feelings, because like, what are those? Uh, but watch. And he looked around at them with anger, so he understood the anger. What's the anger come from? He's grieving. Did you guys know that uh, the reason why you're mad is really because you're sad, and no, understanding what you're sad about helps you understand what you're mad about? That's just for free if you want to help some marital conflict. Okay, watch this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. Why is he sad? Why is he sad? Because there's an expectation on the religious people that they would understand that this is what the Sabbath was for, rest. Uh, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And this, of course, made people furious. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. To which, as you read this as a normal person, you're like, hmm, those are two words I don't understand. Keep moving. All right, so uh, let me tell you about the Pharisees. Think the Pharisees are the people that are, um, let's put them on the ultra-Christian nationalist people. This is that, these are these people would be. And the Herodians, it's like, uh, let's just call them the progressive, liberal, uh, LGBTQIA uh, society. All right, and the, so think of like, White Christian nationalists, LGBTQIA people all get together for a party and they're friends. That would never happen, right? But the Pharisees, who are the ultra conservatives trying to have people live by God's word, they go and held counsel. Like, we got to do something. It's like Donald Trump and AOC hanging out together to figure out what to do with Jesus. You've got Herodians here. These people have zero desire to follow God's law. Like, it is a complete disaster and a mess. The Herodians are okay with uh, King Herod taking his brother Philip's wife as his own, and that's what gets John the Baptist offed, all right? Like, that's, that's the two kind of camps that come together because Jesus offends conservatives and liberals equally. Do you guys know that? I, I, just, I, get, I get frustration and hate mail from both conservatives and liberals, which is also knows, which is why I'm probably preaching the right thing. That's how that happens. So those are, please keep it coming because it makes me feel good. And so the Pharisees went out. They immediately held counsel. Why? Why? Because they need to destroy him because Jesus defined himself as the rest that we seek. And I think that's what is offensive to people. All right. Not too long ago, uh, Adrian was walking around here with a boot on her foot. And uh, if you guys remember that. She did a lot of running and not a lot of resting, okay? And she actually uh, texted uh, her doctor and was like, <laughs> which is kind of nice when you're Adrian, you can just text, text a doctor. Anyway, hey, what should I do about my foot? And he's like, get off your foot. You need to rest your foot. Stop running. To which she's heard, don't exercise, which is for Adrian, it's like the worst plague you could put on her life. So she did everything but run. She painted, I think, the treehouse kids' room. She painted our fence. Like, she did, like, 12 to 15 hours on her feet because that's how she rolls, and she doesn't rest unless she's dead, right? That's kind of how she operates. And then guess what? Her foot got, so she's had to wear a boot for eight weeks because at some point you either rest as, like, maintenance or you rest because you're broken. And I think a lot of us drive ourselves to rest because we're so broken. That's why we quit ministries out of nowhere. That's why we quit relationships out of nowhere. That's why we quit jobs out of nowhere. That's why we make a lot of emotional rash decisions based on the pain that we're feeling because we're like, I just got to cut some stuff out of my life. And what you really need is more Jesus. I think this goes on in Israel too. There's like Sabbath keeping, which is sort of hilarious. If you go to Israel and on any Friday night through Saturday night, uh, you'll go, you, you can't push an elevator button, that's breaking the Sabbath, but you can get on an elevator that has the button already pushed. 
So what they do is they program all elevators to have all the buttons pushed so you stop at every floor. The coffee is pre-made on Friday so that you never have to push a button on Saturday. So that everything is, you don't have to change anything of your life. Don't change a thing, but you can still follow the law. You don't have to change your life at all, but you can still follow the law. And that's what people who get religious are all about. I want to look like I did the right thing. Someone clap for me. I'm doing the right thing. And what Jesus is saying is you've broken. And you need to recognize that your only rest is in me and I'm your hope and your healing. And that's the message that we're giving to the world. Come to Jesus. And so this morning, um, I want us to really ask the question, will you define Jesus? Will you tell him how it's going to be and how you're gonna, you'd like your rest this way? In fact, I'll take my rest with some social media, video games, and maybe a little extra work, and then I'll kick in a church service online. Or maybe even go darker. I'll look at some porn, and that'll take my mind off things because I know Jesus' life is hard, but you don't understand what I'm going through because, you know, I mean, you're old, and, like, my life is really relevant, and I'm busy. Or will you go, will Jesus define you? And, and that's where I want to leave us this morning. And as, as we, we let, as we sort of sit in there, I want you to just ask that question. Will you let Jesus define you? And we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this and remember it's in me. Our souls feed on Jesus. Like our body needs bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. This is wood for wine, glass for grape juice. So this is my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. This is a new covenant. It's all about grace. My blood did the work for you so that you could receive eternal life and you'd be ushered in my kingdom. And I'm your king. And so as we... This is something that Christians do. If you're not a Christian, it's not something that you do. But this morning, as we take communion, as we have this time, I want you to think about where you are with Jesus. What part of your life you need to say, I'm done defining for you, Jesus, what I want, when I want, how I want it. I'm done with Burger King Jesus. I'm ready for King Jesus to define my life. And so as you sit here, just in the quiet of your own heart, I want you to wrestle with that. And if you're not a Christian, maybe today you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need healing. Will you save me from the darkness of my heart and make me the person you want me to be? And my prayer for you is that you would move from death to life as you see the goodness of God in your life as you, he becomes your rest. And if you've been a Christian for a while and maybe it's just gotten hard because it's frustrating doing life with people. You pause and you say, Jesus, what do you want me to change? How am I going to transform my life to be fully yours? You guys pray with me? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient. And I'm praying that this morning as we contemplate your goodness, as we seek you, God, for all that you are and all that you've called us to be, God, I pray that this morning, somebody for the very first time would say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, person you want me to be. And we watch that person 
come and take communion with us. And Jesus, I ask that, um, that this morning, for somebody who's been walking with you for a while, and the darkness has sort of crept in, and frustration levels have heightened, that God, you would work and do a work. Lord, would you, um, would you speak to someone in their loneliness? Speak to someone in their frustration, in their anger, and show them how they've either become like a Pharisee or a Herodian. Either trying to strain out gnats but swallowing camels of sin. Or just saying, I don't even care about people. Just do what you want, whatever you want, and just live whatever makes you happy. God, I pray that, that both those camps will repent whatever way they've leaned and they just trust you, Jesus, for, their, for your glory and your goodness and your grace. Lord, we love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want you to imagine just for a second what it would look like for you to give Jesus the proper position in your life where he has authority because he's got it whether you want to give it to him or not. And how that would transform you the way that you view sin and darkness and the way that you view rest and what God has for you. It would change you. And then that would change the way you interact with your family. And then your family would transform. And that would change the way the church interacted with the church. And then you know what? The church would transform the way the city interacts with the city. We can do this if we take God's word and his spirit empowers us and we say, you do your thing, Jesus, in me. Would you receive the benediction? Go and be a people who live under the authority of King Jesus. Go and be a, a person who lets Jesus determine what sin is and what it's not. And go and be a person who finds your rest in King Jesus. Go push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.